Welcome back to the Dersh Show. Um, over the weekend, it's become fairly clear that the District Attorney of, of Manhattan, um, uh, Bragg, will almost certainly indict um, former president and current candidate for president, Donald Trump. Um, after months and months and months of scouring uh, <laughs> the statute books and, um, and, and calling witness after witness, um, it's become, uh, he, he finally, Bragg settled on some, what appears to be a Mickey Mouse um, uh, uh, alleged crime, um, claiming that um, the money that was paid to Stormy Daniels, the porn star, who claimed that uh, Donald Trump had had a sexual relationship with her, which he denied, um, that the payoff, uh, the hush money, hush money is perfectly legal. Prominent people over the years have, have paid it. Um, many, many people have paid hush money. Most often it doesn't work. Uh, the allegations come out uh, anyway, as is, is commonly the case. But uh, nothing wrong with paying hush money. But the claim here was that the hush money was paid by his uh, former lawyer, Cohen, who's now a government cooperating witness, and that uh, Trump then paid back the money in installments, um, listing it as legal fees of some kind. Um, that apparently is a misdemeanor, um, but, uh, but Bragg is trying to indict Trump for a felony by construing a statute that is never been used before in comparable situation to say, but if the misdemeanor is committed to try to cover up a felony, then it becomes a felony. And, and the felony, the alleged felony that is alleged to be covered up was that it was a secret campaign contribution. And that would be a felony. But what kind of a campaign contribution could it be who made the contribution? Donald Trump made the contribution to himself? Or is the argument that Donald Trump paid back Cohen for making the contribution? But if he paid back Cohen for making the contribution, it wouldn't be a contribution. It would just be a short-term loan. Uh, in any event, nobody has ever been prosecuted for anything even remotely close uh, to this. So what it is, is a targeted attempt to try to get Donald Trump. I mentioned before that the Torah, the Bible, gives judges two prohibitions. One, the obvious one, don't pay bribes. But the first one, the one that comes chronologically first, is don't recognize faces, lo takir ponim. Don't ever do justice or injustice based on who the person is. That's why the blindfold is supposed to be worn. Well, <laughs> D.A. Bragg has not only torn off his blindfold, he has uh, focused directly at Donald Trump. I mean, it wasn't as if Bragg said, look, maybe some crimes were committed. Let's investigate who did them. Uh, instead, what Bragg has done, uh, along with Letitia James, the attorney general of New York, who ran on the campaign of getting Trump, let's... Um, Let's find something about Trump. Let's find something against against Trump. And uh, and they were searched and searched and searched. And, and they found uh, this allegation, whether it will hold up or not. I don't think so. 
But um, I want to quote you from one of the great justices in American history, who it's as if he saw this coming. He died, you know, half a century ago. But I'm going to read you these words that could have been written today. And they are as relevant today as they were when it was written. It's written by Justice Robert Jackson, who was the United States chief prosecutor at the Nuremberg trials and probably the greatest lawyer ever to serve um, in, in, in attorney generalship, uh, probably second to Abraham Lincoln, uh, one of the greatest lawyers um, ever to serve in government in the United States, along with Daniel Webster. Uh, Robert Jackson was a famous lawyer before Franklin Delano Roosevelt appointed him to be uh, attorney general and then appointed him to be uh, justice of the Supreme Court, where he served with great distinction. So here are his words. With the law books filled with a great assortment of crimes, a prosecutor stands a fair chance of finding at least a technical violation of some act on the part of almost anyone. In such a case, it is not a question of discovering the commission of a crime and then looking for the man who has committed it. It is a question of picking the man and then searching the law books or putting investigators to work to pin some offense on him. That's Justice Robert Jackson. Maybe he had already read what Lavrenti Beria, the head of the KGB, had said to Stalin several years before he had read that. Infamously, Beria said to Stalin, quote, show me the man and I'll find you the crime. In other words, targeted injustice, or as a South American dictator once said, for my friends, everything, for my enemies, the law. And so what we're seeing is an elected district attorney and an elected attorney general previously campaigning essentially on the promise to get a particular individual, Donald Trump, and then searching, searching through the statute books and, and, and getting witnesses to say what they want him to say in order to prosecute a targeted individual for a crime. That's exactly what's happening here. And it's not only outrageous, but it's frightening because today it's a democratically elected district attorney going after the Republican nominee for president six years ago. It was Republicans going after Hillary Clinton, trying desperately to discover any technical violation of the classification laws uh, to prevent her from succeeding as a presidential candidate. Tomorrow, who knows who prosecutors will go after? Because as Justice Jackson also wrote about the same time, precedents like this lie around like a loaded weapon ready to be deployed against any target that the prosecutor doesn't like. So today it's Trump. Yesterday it was Clinton. Tomorrow, who knows who it could be. It could be Biden. It could be Biden's son. It could be anybody. Um, and the day after tomorrow, it could be you or your, or your son or your nephew or your friend or your niece. Uh, that's why everybody, whether you're politically opposed to Trump's election, as I am, or whether you're supportive of Trump's election, 
as I know many people are, it doesn't matter. You have to oppose this weaponization of the criminal justice system against a targeted individual. And that's a big problem in America today. And that's a problem that I've written about in my new book, which is going to be published tomorrow, uh, Get Trump, The Threat to Civil Liberties and Due Process and Our Constitutional Rule of Law. You can order it today uh, from Amazon, um, advance ordering. It'll get to you in a couple of days. And you know, if you believe, as I believe, that prosecutors should not be going after people uh, like that, then really support this book, buy this book. Uh, it's only a few bucks. Uh, what does it cost? Uh, I don't know, 20 bucks or something like that. Um, and show your support or more your opposition to this kind of misuse of the criminal um, justice system. Because, you know, when prosecutors are allowed to pick their targets in this way, it just puts everybody in danger and it makes it it makes the criminal justice system a weapon and the rule of law non-existent you know people who support bragg and others say well look trump's either guilty or not guilty if he committed the crime he should do the time uh, he's not above the law and he's not above the law but he's not below the law the question is not whether they could get Trump on some minor technical violation of a law that's never been used and will never be used again. The question is whether anyone else would be prosecuted who committed comparable conduct. And if the answer to that is no, if this is a law and these are facts that, again, to quote one of my favorite justices, Justice Jackson, that's like an airplane ticket to be used. He think he used a train ticket, but we can convert it to modern times. A train ticket, good only for this day and this time only. Like the decision in, in Bush versus Gore, which the Supreme Court went out of its way to say, no, no, it's not a precedent. We're just deciding this election. Don't ever quote that opinion because we're embarrassed about it. It's such a disgrace, which it was. But that's not the way the law is supposed to operate. The law is supposed to operate on the basis of precedence, of principle, and it's supposed to be colorblind, individual blind, political blind, partisan blind, um, and most important person blind. It it's just should not be used in a particular way. There's another statute that's been used, I think, once since the time it was enacted in 17-something or other, called the Logan Act, which says that no private citizen can negotiate with a foreign power about foreign policy. Of course, everybody has done that, doing that. Thousands of instances where people, but um, efforts have been made occasionally to try to resurrect that statute. Now, there's a, a principle in law that nobody's ever heard of. I've heard of it because I taught this stuff for 50 years. It's called desuetude. I can't even spell it, D-E-S-S. You desuetude, desuetude, look it up. Desuetude is an old, old common law concept that says if a statute has been lying dormant for, 
many, many, many years, um, and nobody has ever used it. You can't suddenly resurrect it and use it against a given individual. Uh, in order for a statute to be used, it has to at least have been in common usage, or the legislature has to reenact it. But no, that's not what's going on here. This statute under which Bragg is seeking to indict Trump, according to news reports at least, has never, ever, ever been used uh, against anybody who committed uh, comparable uh, acts. Um, and, and the idea of just using it for this one defendant, for this one time, um, I mean, does anybody for a moment believe that Bragg would be doing this if the guy's name was John Smith or Hunter Biden? Uh, if so, I'll, I have a bridge I can sell you that connects Brooklyn to Manhattan. Uh, there's no chance that this is a statute that can be neutrally applied to facts that are neutrally discerned. This is an attempt to try to get Trump. Get Trump. I don't mind getting Trump as long as it's done lawfully equally. Let's get him by not voting for him if you don't oppose him. If you support him, vote for him by all means. I'm not here to make a political point. I just mentioned that I'm not a Trump political supporter to make it clear that I have no dog in this fight uh, other than the Constitution, a pretty big dog, the Constitution, but and, and, and the rule of law and fairness and equity and equality and all of that. I don't like the word equity because it's now been misused to mean something. It means inequality now in the current usage, along with uh, um, uh, what's it called now? Diversity, equity and inclusiveness or inclusion, uh, which means uh, essentially no whites need apply. Um, and and uh, that that kind of um, uh, uh, racial bias uh, is, is, is un-American. But getting back to to Trump, if if Trump committed, you know, he famously said, infamously said one of one of the dumbest things said by a president uh, that he would be elected even if he murdered somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue. If he murdered somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue, hey, I joined the prosecution team. I'm all in favor of prosecuting, convicting and sentencing people who murdered other people on Fifth Avenue. OK, that's one thing. It's not what he's being investigated for. He's not being investigated for, you know, income tax violation. He's not being investigated for extortion or, or fraud or burglary or other high crimes or misdemeanors. He's being investigated for Mickey Mouse. Uh, he's being investigated for something that is barely a crime. And it's no answer to say, well, you know, if he did the crime, let him defend himself. Let him defend himself. Tragically, I think the law has made a mistake about this. Selective prosecution is not generally recognized as a defense. It should be. If somebody is being prosecuted selectively uh, because of who they are um, or because of who they aren't, that should be a defense that's available to people. Um, but no, the law says basically... If you did it, if you did the crime, you have to do the time. And um, that just encourages selective prosecution and encourages unequal applications of the law. So I am strongly opposed 
to the indictment of um, President Trump uh, by Bragg on the basis of the evidence that I've seen. Look, is there a smoking gun? There's a smoking gun. Let's see it and smell it and see if the smoke is real. Um, if there's evidence of, you know, real crimes, hey, I'm in favor of prosecuting anybody who's guilty of, of real uh, crimes, um, whether he be a Republican or Democrat, uh, whether he be running for president or anything else. But what I'm not in favor of is people, prosecutors saying, this is a guy I want to get. This is somebody I'm targeting. And by the way, J. Edgar Hoover used to do that, the former head of the FBI, his political enemies. He would figure out how to get go after them. And then he'd investigate them until he found something. And as Justice Jackson says, if you look hard enough, you're going to find something. You're going to find something. So frankly, I don't care if Donald Trump may have technically violated some obscure statute that's never been used to prosecute anybody. I'm not here saying he did. I haven't seen even the evidence of that from what I heard about the case. It's a made-up case. It's a totally made-up case. They're, they're, they're trying to string together two statutes that don't belong together in order to turn a misdemeanor into a felony when it's not even clear that the misdemeanor occurred. And so let's hope that District Attorney Bragg, Attorney General um, James, come to their senses and realize that you know, this may benefit you as a Democrat. It may benefit you and your reelection campaign for the moment. This is not good for America. This is not good for the rule of law. This is not good for equal protection. This is not good for justice. And let's just stop, stop weaponizing criminal justice. Stop targeting people. There's enough crime out there. There's enough robbery. There's enough murder. Let the district attorney of Manhattan go after those folks. But let's not create a dual system of justice. Uh, one system of justice for a person named Donald Trump, another system of justice for anyone else. And I'm afraid we're seeing too much of that uh, in America in future podcasts. I'll talk about some other cases like that. And I'll talk about some other situations like the January 6th situation where we're now seeing, and I'm involved in one of those cases, where we're now seeing the government failing to disclose uh, exculpatory evidence against people who have been convicted, evidence that would prove their innocence. And again, this is part of the get Trump um, going after lawyers like me who represented uh, President Trump in front of the Senate. Again, not supporting him but defending the Constitution on his behalf. You know, they're going after me. They're going after many, many other lawyers who behaved entirely ethically and properly. The big crime is you facilitated President Trump. Yeah, that's what lawyers do. We facilitate uh, innocent people who have been either prosecuted or impeached in violation of the Constitution, something I plan to continue to do for the rest of my uh, political and um, professional life. But um, the idea of get Trump, and that's why I went out of my way really very quickly to, to do this book, uh, Get Trump. 
I don't like it. I don't like getting anybody. Um, I don't like the idea of targeting people. So get Trump book, get the Trump book. That's a good idea. But getting Trump, not a good idea. So let's take some um, some letters, a lot of letters about prayer in the school that really generated a lot of interest among people. As a teacher, I can't see any point to having prayer in my classes. However, I have had students create arguments against each of the Ten Commandments as an exercise in critical thinking and taking opposing views. Students generally get a kick out of that. That's fine. I think the Bible is, is, is fair game. Look, I'm in favor of the Five Commandments. I'm in favor of don't kill. I'm in favor of honor your father and mother. I'm in favor of a couple others. I am not in favor of do not take the name of your Lord in vain. I am not in favor of a commandment saying uh, uh, obey the, the Sabbath. Uh, that's up to you. You want to be Sabbath observant? Fine. I was for the first 30 years of my life. Um, I'm okay with that, but I'm not okay with all of the Ten Commandments. So I'm in favor of the Five Commandments. Um, but I wouldn't teach them in school, but as a critical exercise, I think that's fine. If the school is Catholic, I don't see why not. Well, of course. And that's the point. If you want to pray in the school, go to a Catholic school, go to a Protestant school, go to a Jewish school, go to a Muslim school. That's fine. We're talking about the public school where people of all religious and non-religious backgrounds are entitled to be treated as equal, full citizens. No preference for one religion over the other or for religion over non-religion. I grew up this way and I'm grateful to learn religious values. My parents could not teach me as immigrants from Italy without school. I may not have any understanding of religion without that. That's great. I love the idea. I sent, I went to yeshiva. I prayed every single day. I prayed before school started. I prayed at the end of school. I prayed during the lunch hour. That was fine. That was a decision my parents made for me. I'm very knowledgeable now about the Bible, about other Jewish issues. That was a choice. But if my parents had sent me to public school, like my mother went to public school, there's no reason to teach her the Latin mass, which is what she learned. As a Christian minister, conservative politically, I do not stand with the constitution. No, I do stand with the constitution and professor's opinion about no prayer in public schools. As my Christian minister father taught Whose prayer do you want in public schools? To any God, Christian prayer, Muslim prayer, Jewish prayer, Buddhist prayer, Hindu prayer, faith in God is personal if chosen. This comes from a Christian minister. Next, you can have prayer in the schools if the prayer is not compulsory, but begin before the school technically opens for the day. I'm okay with that. Um, but prayer becomes compulsory when it's done in a classroom because 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds don't want to be seen as, as different. I think I mentioned to you that I defended a woman uh, named Shapiro. I can't remember her first name now. Um, and she did not want to stand up for prayer in the school. And she was attacked by the teacher and by fellow students. We had to bring a lawsuit to protect her. Uh, compulsion can take many forms, particularly among young people. Peer pressure generated by the school and supported by the teacher is a form of compulsion. All right, no prayer, no sex, no critical race theory. I'm in 100% agreement with you, Dershowitz. Okay, glad to have you in agreement. 
Remove anything that is considered an ideology from education. This includes critical race theory, specific sex education, and any other concepts that mix political scientific ideology with education. I'm completely in favor of that. Now, it's impossible to do in, in practice. In practice, there's going to be some ideology. You know, when you teach about the Declaration of Independence or the Bill of Rights, there's an ideology there, but it can be done in a way that is not propagandistic and is not preaching, but is rather teaching you how to open your minds, teaching you how to think instead of what to think. And I think a student should be free to say, look, um, I don't agree with uh, this part of the Constitution, that part of the Constitution. I don't agree that American history should be taught this way. I think that's all fine, as long as people are able to express points of view um, that uh, reflect uh, diversity of, of viewpoint. And I just recently wrote an op-ed um, about what happened at Stanford University the other day where law students prevented a, a judge from making his speech. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just uh, so important not to have that kind of uh, suppression uh, of speech in university. So, you know, I'm very much in, in, in favor of that. Professor, yes, I agree. It's hard to understand how someone came from nothing. This was my idea. Uh, I said, I, 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 I myself, I'm agnostic about whether there's an intervening God, but I'm also agnostic about whether there is no intervening God because I can't understand how something came from nothing. I don't understand how the Big Bang Theory, what did it bang from? Uh, or evolution. I understand how single cells produce elephants, but I don't understand where the single cell comes from. Uh, Professor, I agree it's hard to understand how something came from nothing, perhaps beyond our human capacity to understand, but it's even harder for me to understand how God made something from nothing, including himself. Well, you know, that's the nature of God. You don't have to understand. You don't have to explain um, uh, anything because God explains everything. You know, God came before everything and will exist after everything. It's a question of belief, not a question of science. Okay, Alan, you're dead wrong when you say what the right wants. I'm so conservative that I make Reagan look progressive. A lot of people today make Reagan look progressive. Um, I believe that people should be allowed to pray wherever they want, but should never be compelled to pray anywhere. Okay, but again, what does compulsion mean? And how, how do, what does compulsion mean in the context of elementary school students? That's the hard, hard question. What do you say about the videotapes not given from a January 6th person to defend themselves? I'm one of the lawyers who's pushing that issue on behalf of a client, and I think it's appalling that the government didn't immediately turn over every single videotape. And I'm not thrilled that Congressman McCarthy turned the videotapes only over to one network. Uh, I prefer to see every network get them. It would be interesting to see if CNN played them or if MSNBC played them, they'd probably deep six them or edit them in a way to show only uh, their narrative. But at least the defendants should get those uh, tapes because that's essential to be able to defend yourself. Professor Dershowitz, do you favor military intervention to stop Iran from developing a nuclear weapon? Well, as a last resort, I do. I do favor military intervention, not ground troops or anything like that, but surgical 
um, um, attacks from the air, the sea, um, to destroy the capacity of Iran to develop a nuclear arsenal, which would be the most dangerous thing in the world today. Because these mullahs, they don't care about this life. They care about the next life. Um, and um, uh, I just don't trust um, uh, that kind of thinking. Remember, one of the heads of Iran already wrote years ago that if we develop a nuclear bomb, we will use it against Israel because Israel is a one bomb state and we will kill um, seven or eight million people. And then Israel will retaliate and kill 20 million people in Tehran. And then he said it would be worth it. The trade off would be worth it because it would mark the end of the Jewish state, the end of you know Jews in Israel. And it would only mean 20 or 30 million Muslims killed, and there's a billion of them, so there's no problem with that. You don't give a bomb or allow a bomb to be obtained by somebody like that. I, I have another book that I'm working on now, my 53rd, called The Preventive State, where I talk about prevention, how important prevention can be, and preventing Iran from developing a nuclear weapon is very, very high on my list of proper preventive steps that could be taken. Uh, second only to what should have happened in 1934, 1935 in Europe, where England and France should have enforced the Versailles Treaty and invaded Germany and toppled Nazism and um, put an end to the German war machine that would have saved 50 million lives if that had been done, but it wasn't. Okay. Going back to prayer, the pledge is not a prayer. When reciting it, skip the saying in part. That's easy enough. It seems like a trivial argument. Kids say one nation, leave out under God, individual, blah, blah. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, I, I, I don't say under God when I say the pledge. I make a deliberate point to, you know, I say the pledge because I like the pledge. Remember when I was growing up, the pledge didn't have under God. Eisenhower put it in during the Korean War. Uh, I'd rather it not be in. People want to say it. It's, you're right. It's not prayer. Uh, it's, um, it's a declaration, though, of our country being under God. It's on the, on the coins, it's on the bills. I don't like any of that. I would rather totally not have any reference to any God or religion in anything governmental. It can be in private, you can do whatever you want. Uh, you can have a sign in your store, in God we trust, everyone else pays cash. That was in a store that I grew up with in, in Brooklyn. Reading the constitution in class instead of prayer. Hey, I like that. So do I. All right, we'll come back with uh, more tomorrow, more questions. Please keep have the questions keep coming because I really enjoy uh, interacting with you over these questions. See you tomorrow.